the geopolitics of space. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Tensions between the U.S. and Russia are high, as the U.S. imposed strict sanctions in the wake of the Russian military's invasion of Ukraine, but some 150 miles above Earth, an important partnership between the U.S. and Russia remains, the International Space Station. Historically, the partnership between the two countries has transcended political tensions here on Earth, but how long will that last? We'll speak with two guests with unique perspectives on the current partnership and future collaboration between the U.S. and Russia. First, former astronaut Terry Virts. He spent time on the International Space Station and commanded the international crew. While there, he and his crewmates could see the fighting between Ukraine and Russia during a conflict in 2015. We'll talk to Virts about collaboration on the station and what might come as the relationship between the U.S. and Russia strains here on Earth. Then we'll talk with Charlie Bolden, another former astronaut and former administrator of NASA during the Obama administration. He joins us to talk about NASA policy and what may lie ahead in both the short and long term for the ISS. The geopolitics of space exploration. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. The United States and Russia, along with other international partners, have operated the space station for more than two decades. Retired NASA astronaut Terry Virts spent more than 200 days on board, including a winter in 2015 where he and his crew watched armed conflict in Ukraine from space. Last week, he penned an op-ed appearing in The Hill titled, Is Our Space Partnership Immune from Earthly Conflicts? Around the same time, he shared a picture he took from orbit on Twitter showing explosions in Ukraine from that winter conflict. He joins us now to talk about his op-ed and that dramatic image. Let's start with that, that image that you, you shared. Tell me about it. What was it like seeing conflict like that from space? Um, it was profoundly saddening because my time in Russia had been so positive. You know, the trainers that we had the cosmonauts that I was working with, um, learning the language, the culture. It had been just an overwhelmingly positive experience. I still am friends with a lot of the same folks. I've been texting with two of my cosmonaut friends today, you know, years and years later. And then when they invited Crimea, invaded Crimea, we would have training events. And at the end of like Friday afternoon, whenever you finish a session, we'd all get around and toast. You know, they'd get the vodka out and say toast. And whenever we would have these group events, we would always say, politica, politica, and politics is politics. Let's forget about that and let's just focus on the crew. Um, And that's just how we did it. We acknowledged that, yes, these political things are happening, and then we worked together, and it was a really good way. Now, fast forward, I'm in space. We had put sanctions on them. Dmitry Rogozin had said, hey, Americans, take a trampoline to get to the space station. Because at the time, there was only the Soyuz. There was no space shuttle or SpaceX or anything else. Um, and here we were, and I'm with these cosmonaut friends. One of them is from Crimea. His wife is, or I'm sorry, he is from Crimea. His wife is Ukrainian. Every cosmonaut has aunts or uncles or parents, or they're from Ukraine themselves. I mean, every Russian that I know has somebody in Ukraine, right? It's even closer than America and Canada. And then one night we were in the service module. I'm with Sasha Samokujev. We're looking out the window and there's red flashes and it's, like, well, and it hit me, 
we're watching people being killed on earth. You know, Russia is killing Ukrainians down on the planet. What the heck is happening here? Here we are working together. Our goal is just not to die. We're in space. We're just trying to survive. And, and there they were um, doing this ridiculous civil war. It wasn't in Crimea. It was actually the civil war that they've been promoting for the last eight years and have, has killed way more people than we lost in Afghanistan and Iraq. So anyway, it was a, it was a profoundly sad moment. Uh, I'll add this story at the same time, Dmitry Rogozin, the deputy prime minister was actually the guy that walked me out to my Soyuz rocket for launch. So I'm in my spacesuit, hunched over carrying my cooling thing like John Glenn and he's arm in arm wrapped his arm around me, walking me up to the base of the rocket on the launch pad. Um, a few months later, we had a ammonia emergency uh, on the space station that it was a very deadly leak that would destroy the station. And um, it's, I wrote a whole chapter about it, my National Geographic book. Uh, and he called us up and said, hey, American colleagues will work together. You can stay as long as you want on our segment where there's no ammonia. It was like this great example of how people can and should work together. So I've seen kind of the best in, of humanity and the best of American-Russian relations in the space station program, while I also saw the worst of it, they're dropping bombs on their cousins in Ukraine. So it was, it's just a very profound and emotional experience. And, and you also realize that the people are different from the leader. Terry, remind us how long you spent in Russia training, because, I mean, you have this connection to, to this country and, and those people, and, and you have connections right. there. Um, how, how long were you there? Well, I, I traveled to Russia on behalf of NASA for about a decade sporadically for different supporting different missions. And then when I was assigned to my long duration space flight, I spent a lot of two years, you know, months and months every year for two years, two and a half years going to Russia. Um, so, you know, it was a significant amount of time with mm. working with them. Uh, going back to to um, the moment of the the crisis unfolding while you were on orbit, um, you know you're 150 some miles above the planet. Yeah. With these colleagues of yours that have family down there, describe the mood. I mean, I would assume that they, you know, they felt helpless and couldn't do anything. What was your role? Kind of bring us back to the the kind of human emotions that happened then. Yeah. You know, I made a very distinct effort when I was commander of the station, the second half of my mission, I became commander to have one crew. So every night after work, it was dinner time. I would always, well, whenever I could, I would put my dinner in a Ziploc and float down to the Russians and, and hang out with those guys um, because I wanted it to be one crew. And that cooperation that we had was probably the proudest part of my career. It was working well with Russians that, you know, we're still friends to this day. Um, when there was some serious tension because we put sanctions on them and the ruble got cut in half while we were in space. So there, when that happened, there was an economic crisis in Moscow. Um, they were checking the news constantly. They were on the phone all the time, calling their families and stuff. Ironically, it actually benefited them because they got paid in dollars. So their salary doubled while we were in space. Um, didn't know but that. <laughs> overall for the average Russian, that was not true. And then for this case, it's going to be a lot worse you know, the Russian, my Russian friends need to understand what they're hearing on Pierre V. Canal, the Russian TV is lies, it's propaganda, it's not true. And they're going to pay a much worse price. Putin and his oligarchs are going to be fine. 
it's the average Russian that's going to suffer. Um, and I don't know that they understand what's coming through the sanctions that we're about to do. You mentioned when there was a crisis on the station, that ammonia leak, the Russians offered their side of, of the space station for you to take safe haven in. Yeah. About how, you know, space is kind of this, you know, um, wonderful example of international collaboration. I mean, reflect a little more on that. You know, why do, why does this relationship kind of transcend what's happening here on earth up in space? The kind of people who get in space are generally not the kind of people who want to go around taking over the world. I'm not going to say that 100%. Um, several of my colleagues that I, were in, that I was in space with are in the Russian Duma, and they voted for war. So men and women that I looked at our planet from space and had this amazing experience with um, just voted to invade Ukraine and kill Ukrainians with Russian military. So, you know, you have to kind of put that in practice, um, in, in perspective, but, uh, there's, I found when I was there, it was like, man, the kind these folks are, they genuinely, they want to care about space exploration. They want to expand humanity. They want to do these great things. Um, <clears throat> so for the most part, that's just the kind of person that, that goes into space, you, you know, of all the bellicose politicians in the world, they generally don't come from the engineering and scientific community. Sometimes they do, but usually, usually that's just not the kind of person that's attracted to that. With, with the U S putting these sanctions on Russia, you know, tensions are rising between the U S and Russia do you think that that the space station will transcend those tensions or will there be some consequences up in space? Just say these things, just think about what's happened in the last few years and say it out loud. And when you say something out loud that Russia has attacked our elections vigorously twice for two presidential elections, they've had other cyber attacks that have really hurt our economy. They've attacked European elections. They've attacked European infrastructure, cyber attacks. Um, they just, did a military test that blew up a satellite in the space station's orbit and put the crew at risk. They literally did. They blew up a satellite and put our space station at risk. Just say that out loud. They um, just had nuclear uh, drills, nuclear drills and threatened in very not veiled terms. If you listen to Putin's thing, nuclear war, Um, they uh, invaded Ukraine several times and are killing thousands of Ukrainians. Um, And I I don't know, there might've been other things too. When you say all those things out loud, it's like, you know, wow, they're our partners. On the flip side, there's very practical reasons why we can't kick them out. And I'll, I'll say this, this is important. The overriding concern needs to be that we not put the crew in space in a position of conflict. You can't have the Americans wanting to do something and the Russians wanting to do something else that we have to guard against that at all risks. We, at all costs, we can't have that conflict on the space station. Um, and the other reason is the Russian modules are provide propulsion. They have the rocket engines. The U S modules don't have rocket engines. And we made a conscious choice 20 years ago to cancel our propulsion module. If we had that, we could have provided our own 
propulsion, which does reboost. So the station's always sinking, sinking, sinking. You have to reboost it occasionally because of the drag from the very thin upper atmosphere. And you have to use the rocket engines to point the station in the right direction occasionally, not that often, but every once in a while. So it would take us some time before we could generate that capability. I mean, theoretically, if we shut the hatch, the Russian segment detached, the U.S. segment would need a propulsion module, you know, within weeks or months. You wouldn't want to go a year without that. That would not work. So that's a very practical matter. The other practical matter is they may not want to. And if they don't want to, what are you going to have a fist fight in space and whoever wins gets to shut the hat? That's not, that should never happen. That's completely impractical. And then maybe we want to just hold our nose and say, look, we're going to be friends here. You could launch nuclear missiles at us. We're still going to be friends in space. You know, maybe there just is no red line. Finally, Terry, if, if you were commander of the space station right now, what would be your message to the crew? Uh, my message to the crew be really clear. Hey, guys, we're one crew. We're going to be professional and work together. Um, there's events happening on Earth that we can't control, and our job is to operate the station safely and work together and, you know, and hopefully be friends when this whole mission is. My goal as commander was to still be friends when we got back to Earth, and that would that would still be my goal. Um, but I would I would definitely not hide it. I would definitely not take a partisan side to it i would just say look we're not we're sold we're not soldiers we're we're not involved in that we're up here in space let's focus on our crew let's focus on our mission and uh we can worry about earth when we get back to earth but for now we're not going to worry about that that was retired nasa astronaut and commander of the international space station terry verts Still to come, Charlie Bolden, another NASA astronaut and former NASA administrator, talks the path forward as the U.S. and Russia become more divided. That's ahead. Are We There Yet? is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. I'm Brendan Byrne. We've been talking about the geopolitics of space exploration amid tensions between the U.S. and Russia, two key partners on the International Space Station. Our next guest is Charlie Bolden. He's a former astronaut and ran NASA as its 12th administrator during the Obama years. And while he never lived on the ISS, he did command the first space shuttle mission carrying a Russian cosmonaut. He joins us now to talk about the effort navigating the diplomacy of space policy and what the future may hold for international collaboration. Uh, well, Charlie, what are your, your immediate reactions seeing you know, what's happening here on Earth uh, with these tensions rising between the U.S. and Russia? And, and what's the outlook for uh, collaboration in space? Brendan, I, I always get nervous whenever we, we, we step up the rhetoric, and this is much more than rhetoric this time. You know, we've, we've managed to maintain the relationship that we have with Roscosmos, with the Russian National Space Agency, uh, through everything up until now. But, but my fear is that this is accelerating uh, way beyond what, what we may be able uh, to, to, to deal with. The things that concern me, uh, right now, or the future of getting our crews to and from the International Space Station. You know, the good thing is we now have a a, a an independent U.S. capability to do that, but it takes away a, a 
redundancy that we had. You know, the the reason that we that we decided to go with two providers for commercial crew was so that we wouldn't find ourselves in this situation that we could very well be in. The the um, I, I got a little sigh of relief when I found out that the Kazakhs had told the Russians that you know they were not not only not interested but they were not going to send any troops into you into Ukraine. So it 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 did my heart kind of good to see the Kazakhs standing up to Russia, but it still remains that we've got a, we've still training in star city and we've got to get in and out of Russia in order to be able to do that. And I think they, that, that relationship right now lies outside the, the present sanctions, but not sure how much longer, you know, we can do that. So I think it would be tragic for us to lose the collaborate, the ability to collaborate with our Russian partners uh, that we've been able to work with all these decades uh, successfully in spite of everything else that's going on. But this is, this is different. This is dramatically different. Could, could, is, is there any fear that I know we've got a U.S. astronaut up there that's supposed to return on Soyuz, yeah. usually to Kazakhstan? I mean, yeah. could, could there be an issue with these fractured relations with, with Mark getting back safe? I, you know, I don't, I'm not that familiar with how we do it now and what what goes on. My hope is that um, as long as Kazakhstan remains uh, independent and free of Russia to the greatest extent they can, because that's where we land, we don't land in Russia, we land in Kazakhstan. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and we launch from Kazakhstan. And it's the Kazakh space program that that takes care of all that. And, and they're sort of a subcontractor to Roscosmos, if you will. But um, I, I can imagine right now that what the U.S. is going through is alternative ways to get Mark uh, back home. The good thing is he's in a good place. And uh, he's probably, I, I know his family would love to have him back, but every day he stays is another record. Uh, so, you know, it, it, there's probably a piece of him that says, okay, I can handle this for another week or two. Yeah, I was I was going to mention, you know, uh, Tori Bruno did say that they're, you know, getting, getting ready to, to sunset the Atlas V anyways. So they didn't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last reports, I saw that that manufacturing facility was still good. So Northrop Grumman should be OK in the short term. Yeah. And yeah. SLS, NASA's SLS doesn't rely on any Russian parts. So in the short term, yeah. things are good. But as you alluded, things in the long term may not be so pleasant. Um, yeah. What possible consequences might there be in the long term as these diplomatic relations erode between the U.S. and Russia? I'm going to go way out on a limb here, and I'm going to bring up a topic that everybody hates for me to bring up because they'll say, well, you're jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. But um, I personally believe that had we followed through on President Obama's efforts to, to find a way to collaborate with the Chinese back in 2010, um, we probably would not find ourselves in the situation we're in today because we we would have had two international partners with launch capability. Um, we probably, and, and this is all, you know, no one will ever know because we chose to, I, to try to isolate the Chinese, but uh, it is possible that we could have had a reliable partner in the Chinese uh, and things would be a lot, a lot different now. Uh, we build on partnership and collaboration instead of confrontation. Uh, we engage with a potential enemy and try to make them a potential partner. Uh, you know, we, we've done this with the Russians now for, what, 30 some odd years? Um, tenuous, but, but still we worked really hard at it and it seems to have worked. And it's not done yet. 
So there's no telling what will happen, but the but the 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 outlook does not look good right now. The eventual outlook. As as someone who has been in the astronaut corps and has, you know, worked on these cross national relationships, what is it actually like in space? I mean, when I think about the even back to the the yeah. Soviet U.S. relationship with Apollo Soyuz, that was taking place in in a very difficult time, but you know, space seems to transcend those things that are happening down here on Earth. What is it actually like in space with, with, you know, I've never lived on station, so I can't tell you what that's like, but I can tell you that um, the relationship that we established, uh, Sergei Krikalov and Vladimir Titov and our crew uh, was a genuine personal um, friendship. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't business. It was, it was personal friendship. And so that's the difference, I think, with Roscosmos and NASA versus the two nations right now, is that Roscosmos and NASA, for the most part, is a, is a combination or a collaboration of friends, people who have gotten to know each other through the years. You know, Joel, um, who runs the International Space Station program now, probably know, in fact, I know he knows his counterparts over in Russia. He's probably on the phone to them every single day you know, letting them know that we're concerned about them as much as we are about the people of Ukraine. Uh, and those things go a long way. Would we be having a different conversation, Charlie, if there wasn't a commercial capability for the U.S. to get astronauts to space right now, if we didn't have SpaceX currently sending crew and Boeing hopefully coming online relatively soon, if we were completely relying, reliant on the Russians to get us to the space station? Would this be a different conversation? Oh, definitely. I, I don't think there's any question that it that it would be a different conversation, but that was never in the cards. That was, you know, even even when when I became the NASA administrator and resisted uh, turning everything over to the commercial sector uh, and said we need to make a, a, a smooth transition from shuttle to um, to commercial capability, um, we were always headed to where we are today. So, um, you know, but but even then we continued to struggle because we recognize the fact that shuttle was was um, it needed to be replaced. It needed to be retired because if NASA was going to really lead the world in deep space exploration with humans going back to the moon and on to Mars, we couldn't do it with shuttle. There there are still people who will argue that that's not true, that we could we could do some shuttle uh, hybrid or something like that, but it would cost you $2 billion a year, just the way the shuttle did. And then there's nothing left to do the deep space exploration. So we did the right thing for the right reasons. Uh, it's just that we underestimated how difficult it would be to get SpaceX to where they are today and to get Boeing to where we hope they will be in the spring or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a few people for this story. And, and one of the concerns that they have is that the extension of the International Space Station, right? That the U.S. is committed to extending it to 2030. The Russians still haven't made that commitment. Um, so it still looks like 2024. Um, long-term for the ISS, or, or not long-term, short-term, since we're very close to 2024, yeah. is, is it in jeopardy? Let me, again, let me get in trouble here. Um, I was never a fan of extending ISS beyond 2028. You know, we couldn't convince President Obama to approve extension beyond 2028. Uh, but beyond, we actually, I think we had gotten him, no, we didn't. Uh, we got him to accept 2024, but he wasn't going a day beyond that. And his, I think, were political, ours were more engineering-wise. And 
And, and I think people, if they're honest with themselves, they'll, they'll, they'll remember that we said we're comfortable going to 2024. We think we can stretch it to 2028. So if people go back and look at the engineering analyses that were done and everything, 2030 was not even in the question. It wasn't even, you know, that was 2028 was really stretching because station is getting old. I know you're friends with him. Um, or at least last time we talked, you were. Uh, what, what advice would you give to uh, the current administrator? Um, <laughs> you know, we, Brendan, we, you and I talked about that. I don't give advice. Um, I recognize how difficult his job is. And I remember how people would come in and give me advice. Uh, he is a dear friend. Um, you know, my, uh, as I told him, I, I, he always has my shoulder to, to cry on, to, to, to throw something up against, to, to ask a question, but he is not going to get any advice from me. Um, you know, I, I'll disagree with him in, in private if I, if I have a disagreement. Um, but I, I have been impressed with what he's doing so far, he and his team. Um, I was impressed with what, contrary to what I originally thought, I was really impressed with what, um, with what Administrator Bridenstine did. And, um, you know, and I think he, I think he did a great job of, of continuity of uh, something that we kind of coined, Joe Dyer actually coined for us was continuity of purpose, um, keeping us focused on our desire to get out of low earth orbit, back to the moon, and then eventually on to Mars. And uh, I think Jim Bridenstine did a superb job of, of doing that, of shepherding and uh, being a good steward of the taxpayer's money. And I think Bill's doing uh, equally the same. You, you mentioned continuity of focus. Do you think that there will continue to be continuity in the relationship between Roscosmos and, and NASA? Yeah, I, I, it was continuity of purpose. And I, um, I think if it, you know, the, it's not up to NASA. It's actually up to Roscosmos. And comments like Rogozin, you know, made last week, those are stupid and, uh, and uncalled for. And uh, I was glad to see several people. I'm not a big Twitter guy, but, but I looked enough to see people finally give due to, to Bill Nelson and his team saying there at least are some adults in the room uh, who said, look, this is, we're, we're diplomats to a certain extent, but but that's the work of the State Department and DOD. Our job is to maintain the relationship that we have with the, with the Russian National Space Agency, with Roscosmos, to try to stay focused on the mission of the International Space Station, which is to try to do things that uh, make life better for people here on the planet. I think every cosmonaut, every astronaut, every, everybody who leaves the planet going to the International Space Station uh, leaves for the purpose of trying to make life better for people back here. And, um, you know, I can't help but imagine that uh, the vast majority of the cosmonauts, you know, hopefully nobody puts them on the spot and asks them for their opinion, because I would hate to see them uh, incur the ire of, of their national government. But um, all of us recognize the fact that war is not good. It, it's, it's never good. That was Charlie Bolden. He's a former astronaut and ran NASA as its 12th administrator during the Obama years. Be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed. Get it on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or visit wmfe.org slash are we there yet. Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from LaToya Dennis. Production assistant this week from our intern, Beatrice Oliveira. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. And until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.